Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Dave Kovar and I'm excited to be here. The podcast we're going to talk about today, the title is Live Safe Training. And really what we're going to do is we're going to discuss some really common sense but sometimes forgotten concepts to live in a safe life. So a little history. So of course many of you guys know that that martial arts has been my life passion. I started uh, my first wrestling match in 1971, my first karate class in 1973 and, and it's been a, a, a great great journey, a great ride. And, and, and I opened up a school in the, in the late seventies and I thought I was teaching self-defense. I used to really push the fact that I was teaching self-defense and, and uh, however, what I was teaching was martial arts, right? And there's a, there's a real, uh, distinct difference between the two. Although a lot of stuff you might learn in martial arts can be applied to self-defense, they are not the same. And what happened is after, in the, I guess in the early 80s, I had one of my students, this lady had been training with me for several years, something bad happened to her and uh, she was a high-level martial artist, but she did not handle the situation. She was not trained right for the situation that had, that had happened. And I felt totally responsible that I had led her astray by not really like preparing her for real life, uh, uh, situations. And so it started me on a quest that I'm still on to this day about really studying real life, uh, self-defense and, and, uh, not just what to do, you know, if, if the bad guy grabs you, of course, that's one part of it, but really just how you can live a safe life. And that's what I want to discuss today. Uh, and this is a program, by the way, we have done, it's called live safe training and, and, uh, we've done numerous uh, live safe training seminars, both myself and my team over the last uh, several decades, right? And so it starts out the whole premise of live safe training is based on five uh, levels, five steps. And, uh, and each one obviously kind of builds on the next, right? But the, the, and if you can really follow these five steps, chances are, uh, you know, you have a pretty good chance of living the rest of your life, uh, without ever being in a violent confrontation. And I think it's important to, to remember this fact is that, uh, the majority of people, whatever's happened to you, the majority of the listeners, people that are listening today, whatever's happened to you in the past, whatever skirmish you may have been in or conflict, physical conflict you've been in the past, going forward from this day forward, chances are most of the people listening to this podcast are going to go through the rest of their life and never be in a violent confrontation. With that said, chances are someone listening may have to defend themselves at some time in their life. And that's why it's so important that, that we kind of, I, I believe, uh, prepare accordingly. But with that said, um, if you follow these steps, you can dramatically, it's not going to guarantee you're never going to be in confrontation, but you're going to dramatically stack the odds of favor of living a peaceful life. So step number one, the most important, create safe habits. Now, I think what's interesting for, for us to understand is the media would have us believe that there are bad guys waiting around every corner to attack us at any moment. And there certainly are plenty of bad guys out there, to be sure. However, statistically speaking, uh, right now is as safe a time as ever to live. Uh, and, and of course, we think, some of you guys might go, no way. Well, do the research yourself. Um, there, there's been lots of studies done on this. The issue why it doesn't feel safe it's because every time something bad happens, we have instant access to it. Let me give you a good example. So a lot of parents, especially parents of young children, live in fear of their child being abducted by a stranger. And of course, no one, if it happens to you, it's, a, you know, statistics don't matter, right? But statistically speaking, this is very rare, right? Uh, and, but 
the re- that's why if let's just say if we've ever been watching the news and we we see a videotape of uh, uh, of, of an attempted abduction in a Target in South Carolina, uh, why would I hear about that? Why would that make the the local news in California? Because it happens so rarely. If it happened all the time, it would be old hat, right? And so, not that we shouldn't prepare our young children, uh, you know, for something like that. Certainly, but in in child safety, it's really more important that you know they're probably the issues are going to be probably with people that 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 the family knows, not complete strangers, right? Now, so uh, I share that with you. The same in general goes for our self defense, and that is is that. If uh, the chance of us being attacked, if we follow the right rules by a stranger, are pretty minimal. Yes, it could happen. And by the way, everybody's environment's different. Some people might live; uh, their job might require that they take uh, public transportation in in a rough part of town at, at bad parts of day that might magnify their odds. But all in all, if you create safe habits, what you're doing is you're going to stack the odds in favor of, of of living a healthy life or a successful or safe life. So, what do I mean by stack the odds in favor. Most of this stuff is common sense. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, chances are, like like me, you have gone to the ATM to withdraw some cash for maybe a weekend event or getaway or something at a time that you felt uncomfortable. Maybe it was a little later in the day. Maybe you're by yourself and man, you thought to yourself, you know, I probably should have got cash earlier today or I probably should have gone into the bank yesterday or something like that. Well, every now and then stuff's going to come up and you're just going to have to deal with it. But Overall, if you analyze your day from dawn to dusk and you really took a look at the habits you've currently created, uh, then chances are you maybe have the habit of, of of not having to go to the ATM because you know every every Monday afternoon you check your wallet and if you don't have enough cash and that's when you go and you go into the bank with a friend or you get the idea so that would be one example uh, another example would be how many guys have ever like pulled up to a stoplight and looked over and there was someone at the corner of the stoplight that made you feel uncomfortable so you made sure your doors were locked right on your car and by the way most cars have automatic door locks so that's not an issue anymore however so a good idea is you get in the car. First thing you do is lock the door. Now that doesn't mean you're going to be in a, get paranoid. It just it's 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 a smart thing to do. Uh, it, it, so I don't know if some of you guys are a little older might remember before it was a law to wear a seatbelt driving. I know the first several years I was driving. Um, there was no law to wear a seatbelt and I never wore a seatbelt. Now, if I don't put my seatbelt on when I'm driving, man, something doesn't feel right. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean I'm paranoid about getting in an accident. It just means that I have created a safe habit, right? So that's the idea is, is, is to analyze your day from dawn to dusk and check out what safe habits you've created and guard those. And what other safe habits could you create? Because if you do this, once again, this is a big chunk to avoiding conflict in the first place. So that's step number one. Step number two is uh, to be aware but not on guard. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a great book on self-defense by a guy named Gavin DeBecker, and the book is called The Gift of Fear, and I highly recommend it. And The Gift of Fear, in the book, uh, uh, Mr. DeBecker roughly roughly says, he says, uh, basically says, true fear is a gift, unwarranted fear is a curse, learn to know the difference. And the the concept here is if, if you are afraid of everything, if you run around your life being afraid of everything, then your body won't know the difference between perceived danger and real danger. Uh, And I share this with you because so many times people are either naive or they're reckless 
uh, uh, when it comes naive or reckless or they're yeah, one or the other. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you think there's never, ever, ever going to be a bad guy waiting anywhere, so you just do whatever the heck you want, you dramatically in, in, in Increase the odds of you potentially being attacked, right? The flip side is if you're paranoid of being attacked everywhere you go, right? Let's imagine that that same like a uh, uh, situation of driving. If, if you're if you're really reckless when you're driving, man, you you increase the odds of you getting in an accident. But at the same time, if you're paranoid by getting in an accident, so your 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 fingers are locked onto the steering wheel and you're man, you're stressing over everything. You're not going to react as well. You're more likely to get rear-ended or not respond, right? It's because uh, there two extremes. Well, so the same thing goes. If you think there's a bad guy waiting around every corner, you're paranoid. Your reactions aren't going to work for you. If you think there's never going to be a bad guy uh, waiting around every corner, you're naive and you could get yourself in trouble. So be aware, but not on guard has to do with really making a point when you're out in public that you're you're alert and aware of what's going on. So, you know, there's a concept in self-defense that you'll sometimes hear about. It's a uh, it's the the green light, yellow light, orange light, red light theory, and the whole idea with this is is you're kind of your level of awareness. Green light means you are totally uh, relaxed. You're chill on the couch watching the game with your 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 uh, your buddy, or you're in the backyard with a barbecue with neighbors. Man, you are totally. You're not worried about you know anything else. You're just enjoying the moment, right? But then you get in the car to go to the store. What happens now? You're a little more alert, right? So that would be yellow light, right? And that's just being uh, alert and aware. And, and so uh, orange light would have to do if, if all of a sudden you find a situation of someone coming up and approaching you maybe and you realize, all right, this could get tense. I got to really pay attention. And of course, red light would be full on self-defense, right? Uh, so anyway, back to be aware but not on guard, that has to do with is when you, whenever you're out and about is making sure that you project two things. Number one, you project confidence. And number two, you stay alert and aware. Uh, years ago, the FBI did a, st- a study. They did, they took a hundred convicted felons from a New York state penitentiary and they watched them watch videotape of people walking up and down a street. Let's say a hundred felons. And, and what they found is the, and they'd say, okay, Mr. Bad Guy, who would you attack? Okay. You know, who would you, uh, you know, Whose purse would you take? You know, whose car would you steal? All that kind of good stuff. And what was interesting is these guys, these president predators, would almost always pick the same people. And it wasn't like little old ladies. It was across the gender and it was across the age. And it had to do with when they asked, well, how come you picked that person? It had to do with these two things. Someone that wasn't paying attention, that made them more likely to be attacked. Number two is someone that did not project confidence. Okay. So be aware, but not on guard means when you're out and about, first thing you do, man, take a second and just take a breath and look and be aware of your surroundings. Okay. Number two, make sure that you project confidence. Uh, and I'm going to talk more about that in a bit and why that, that that's so important. Okay. Step three is trust your intuition. What that means is you're, it's important to understand that your intuition is always right. 100% of the time in two areas. And that it, it has your best interest in mind and it's responding to some stimuli. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you, you have a gut feeling about someone that that feeling is always right. Okay. It just means there's something about that person that, that made you have that gut feeling and you ought to pay attention. Right. So, um, trust your intuition really has to do with the, if you ever find yourself somewhere you're, you're feeling uncomfortable, you think, I probably shouldn't be here. Then you listen to your gut. Right. By the way, this only works if you're not paranoid. Right. If you're afraid of everything and everyone, then of course, uh, this isn't, this isn't work. This, this works if you kind of follow the, the, the step number two is to be aware, but not on guard. Right. Not, not, not afraid or fearful. Uh, 
And so if we learn to develop that ability to trust your intuition, I always teach you know, the, the value, the importance of if in doubt, get out, right? It's much better to say, gee, I didn't have to leave that party early than it is to say, ah, oh, I knew I should have gone. Okay. Um, recently, uh, earlier, about a, probably a man, last summer I was in the UK and I was staying at a hotel. And at this hotel, uh, I was coming in late from a seminar I was at. And, and this hotel also had a pub in it and some uh, football game or slash soccer game just got over. And, and in the UK, they take their sports very seriously. And if you are a, a fan from one team uh, and there's a, 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 another fan from another team, uh, many times they're big time rivals. And and I mean, you know, bad stuff can happen to, to a fan from an opposing team, right? And so anyway, I, I'm not wearing any type of, uh, uh, you know, any jersey. I didn't even know what the, what games were on, you know, who was playing. But uh, all of a sudden, I'm about to ready to get on the elevator with four or five guys. The game just got out and they're all wearing a particular, uh, their particular team's, uh, you know, jerseys and hats and whatnot. And I'm not wearing anything. And, I, and, they, and, I, and one kind of looks at me and I kind of nod at him and he gives me a look. And I could sense that these guys were looking for trouble. The elevator door opens and they get on. And the first, my first instinct is, heck, I'm not afraid, man. This is, I, I'll go on this elevator if I feel like it. Then I go, well, you know what? What do I teach? I would have teach that this is if and out, get out, right? So what do I do? I, I let them get on the elevator and go without them. And, you know, I'll tell you what, were they, was it guaranteed that I was going to get in a conflict in this elevator? Of course not, but it was the smart thing to do. You know, think about it in nature. What animal would get into a soundproof steel cage with a potential predator? It wouldn't happen, right? So in this particular case, I'll never know if I would have been okay. Probably would have been okay, but that's okay. That's okay. That would be an example of trust your intuition. And uh, and so often when something bad happens, someone later on will say, ah, I kind of sensed something was wrong. And so that's something we want to refine and develop, okay? The next step, step, so step number one was create safe habits. Step number two was be aware but not on guard. Step number three is trust your intuition. Step number four is take immediate action. And what do I mean by that? Well, uh, be proactive about your safety. Now, a, a, little, a few minutes back, I talked about the value of projecting confidence and being aware. So the FBI also did a FBI, excuse me, also did a study uh, of they really wanted to kind of break down what happens in a violent assault, and they kind of came up with kind of a uh, kind of a breakdown, kind of a bad guy, you know, code of order of of uh, what um, the order with the, they might. Uh, perform a, a, a criminal act. And the order kind of was this, selection, testing, physical assault. Let me, now, by the way, there's no bad guy code of ethics. It means they have to follow this direct line of thinking. But in general, here's the deal. So let's imagine that I'm a predator and I want to carjack somebody and I'm I'm standing in the shadows. It's it's a, it's a 1230 at night. And I'm standing in the shadows of a of a, a, a liquor store and I'm uh, someone's going to pull up and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for a victim. I'm looking for someone that I can steal their car. Okay. Now let's just say that what am I looking for in a victim? I'm looking for someone that's not paying attention, someone that doesn't look very confident. All right. Let's say that maybe you're a pretty confident person and maybe you're paying okay attention, but let's say, uh, you know, it's kind of cold out, man, and there's not a lot of people coming to the door. So desperate times call for desperate action. So I approach somebody, okay, uh, that you, I selected you. To, uh, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, 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 try to carjack you. Now, the the testing is where I might come up and uh, 
I might, I, I'm going to basically maybe ask you for the time, maybe ask you for some change or ask you for a ride or a jump, a start, something like that, right? By the way, I could not do any of that stuff. There's no rule that says they always have to follow these guidelines, as I'd mentioned, but, but let's just assume that that's what happens. Well, it's kind of like in self-defense, like in a bar fight, we call that the interview. And the interview is where one guy says to the other, would you say to me, right? They're kind of looking for a response to determine if they're going to go forward with this fight or not. And so, uh, if you are ever selected, right, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you project your, you present yourself in a, in a way that's confident. So you dramatically and, and assertive. So you dramatically decrease the odds of saying, yeah, let me, let me, uh, uh, let me attack this guy. So I think it's important to understand that the average predator does not have an alternative plan. They have an alternative victim. And what that means is, is that if you project confidence, Okay, what happens is, is that you dramatically increase the odds of the guy saying, not, not this person, I'm going to attack somebody else. Now, if I was doing a live presentation, what I would do right now is I'd call someone out from the audience and someone that maybe doesn't, maybe not, you know, isn't a big person. Uh, maybe I might call out some lady that comes out that might be a slight lady and I'll say, all right, I want you to step back and I want you to put your hands up and say, uh, back away, you're too close. And so I'll get them to do this and I'll have them get the confident and I'll have them hold that position and then I'll ask the audience. Now, do I, am I thinking they're going to kick, that she's going to kick my butt right now? And of course, you know, no one quite knows how to answer that. And I would say, no, I, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, she's going to kick my butt. But what I am thinking, if I'm the predator, is, you know what? This is a lot more work than I thought. I'm just going to go with somebody else. It's important to understand that the predators, in very rare cases, this might happen, but but very rarely, a predator is not looking for someone that's bigger and stronger and meaner than they are. Let me find the biggest, strongest, meanest person in the room and let me go attack them. That's not what they're doing. They're looking for prey, someone they can get over on, just like in nature. You know, the lion doesn't go for the biggest, strongest uh, water buffalo. It goes for the old one or the weak one, right? And uh, and so that's what we want to make sure that we're doing is we project confidence. So so there's the selection. How do you not get selected? Is you project confidence, you're alert and aware. Then there's the testing. Someone approaches you, you continue to project confidence. And how do you do that? Three primary things that you need to do to project confidence. Number, number one is make sure that you're making eye contact with that person. It's kind of like two dogs that are meeting. You know, one of them will become very submissive right away. They're kind of de- defending, kind of deciding their hierarchy, right? And so when you look someone in the eye, what you're saying is, you know, you're projecting confidence. And number two is that you carry yourself, making sure that your physiology, your posture is good, right? And number three is your tonality is confidence, right? So you look them in the eye and you say with whatever you're going to say, you say with confidence. And by the way, this is something I would strongly encourage, uh, you know, I'll tell people that make a live safe training with me to one of your homework assignments is to go home and talk tough into the mirror and everybody, what do you mean? Well, I tell you what, your ability to be able to look and, you know, get in the habit of saying, Hey buddy, back off. You're too close or not now or whatever it might be. Uh, and to practice that. Cause if you don't practice it, what's going to come out is back off. You're too close. You know, your emotion is going to kick in. Your fear is going to throw show through your voice. Okay. So the act is act, actually practice talking tough in the mirror. I'm, I'm dating myself, but go back to uh, Robert De Niro, taxi driver, right? You talking to me? You talking to me? Kind of practicing that mindset, 
Okay. And then, of course, the next step is the physical assault, right? Uh, selection, testing, physical assault. And, and this is what's interesting is it's important to understand if it's, if it's, uh, unless it's domestic violence, if, if the assault is male on female, usually it's about containment. What do I mean by that? I'm trying to pull someone into a car or, or into an alley or a room or something like that. And, and generally speaking, that's what's going on, right? Which, which actually, if you know what you're you're doing, if you have some training, can give you a bit of an advantage. Male on male, usually what you're going to look out for, if it's not a knife, an attack is usually going to be a push or a punch or an attempted takedown. So those are things in a self-defense course, the physical part that we might really uh, yeah, put a strong emphasis on when we're teaching that. Uh, so uh, one of the things that's really important is that you get in the habit of creating space. So if someone comes into your, into your bubble, towards your bubble, you take a big step back, your hands go up, and if you're right-handed, you step back with your right leg. If you're left-handed, you step back with your left leg, so you have your power hand back, and you look them in the eye, and you say something to the effect of, back off, you're too close. And then you basically stare them down. And if they continue to approach, you continue with that voice, you know, a confident voice. And if someone gets inside your space, this is really important. You create as much space as you can. But if someone steps inside your space, uh, then you have one of two options, create space or hit them first, one or the other. And, of course, that's that's something that, uh, that that's where martial arts training comes into play is the whole aspect of how to effectively be able to defend yourself. And there's a concept that we teach at our Live Safe training. It's called it's an acronym SLAP S-L-A-P and it stands for Surprise Attack Leverage Accuracy and Punctuation and what that has to do with in a self-defense the things that will neutralize a bigger stronger opponent will uh, by the way it's always better to be bigger and stronger in a self-defense situation but there are things that can neutralize a situation and that is surprise attack and that means hitting them when you did they do you know first when they're not expecting it leverage that means proper body mechanics the strike that you hit them with is delivered in in a way with maximizes the effectiveness and power of it the third one is accuracy that that you place your strike to an effective strike zone in other words if i hit you super hard with everything i have and it was an amazingly powerful technique but i hit you in the shoulder then i wasted an opportunity Right. However, if I put all that effort and I hit you with a palm strike perfectly delivered to the nose or knee perfectly delivered to the groin, okay, or a punch perfectly delivered to the, the throat, all right, all right, man, all of a sudden I've got myself an advantage. I've given myself myself time to, to get away. Remember the object in a self-defense situation is not to win a fight. It's to, it's to get to safety. And the P stands for punctuation. What do I mean by punctuation? Think a big exclamation point intensity behind the strike. It's that spirit you put in your movement. All right. So once again, surprise attack, leverage, accuracy, and punctuation. So the the, the steps, once again, the very first step, create safe habits. Second step is to be aware, but not on guard. Step number three is trust your intuition. Step number four is take immediate action. Step number five is learn from your experience and the experience of others. And what does that mean? I'll tell you what, stuff happens all the time. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you have successfully avoided a confrontation by being alert and aware, or you've talked down uh, someone that was uh, uh, was intending maybe physical harm to you. or or Anyway, you had experience, right? And you're going to have more experience. And the key thing is, is to be alert and aware and paying attention. So when you hear about something happening, think, okay, what, how could that have been avoided? How did the person, uh, you know, what did the predator do? What, how did the, the prey respond? What would have been a better way? So you're kind of thinking in terms of always trying to educate yourself uh, so that you can learn from, from, once again, from other experiences. And I want to share a couple stories 
Um, uh, these aren't things that I read about or heard about and read in a book. These are actual things that I have seen uh, firsthand uh, from uh, or heard firsthand from people that have attended uh, events of mine. And and, it, and I think it's important to understand that self-defense lo- defies logic. And there's a couple of, we call these the self-defense mindsets, and I want to go through them. I've already gone through a few of them, but I, but I want to kind of touch on, on these. The first one is I communicate with confidence. That's a mindset. Do you communicate with confidence? Next, I am assertive when I need to be. That's a really important one. The next one is my safety is more important than their feelings. Now, what exactly does that mean? My safety is more important than their feelings. That means we're so, we're so often we're taught to be polite and courteous. And that's the right thing to do, of course. However, if you find yourself in an uncomfortable situation, someone's making you feel uncomfortable, you should never worry about being, you know, uh, hurting somebody's feelings. Let me give you an example. Uh, at the risk of sounding chauvinistic, there's kind of a a, a, a good guy code of ethics that, that m- most gentlemen will follow. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's imagine uh, I'm at a, the downtown in your town. I'm at the, the parking garage, and it's uh, any time, but let's say it's late at night. Okay, and you are there's a lady, I should say, uh, you know, there's a lady that's uh, 50 feet away getting in her car while I'm getting in my car. There's no one else around. Right. I kind of know it's not appropriate for me to walk up and start a conversation with this person. It's just kind of it's just kind of not appropriate. Right. Whereas the same person, if there's a bunch of people around, maybe it would be more appropriate. Right. And so most most people understand what I'm talking about. So let's just say I didn't know better. And, uh, you know, I meant no ill harm. Maybe I saw I saw this lady and I thought she looked like uh, someone I went to school with. So I walk over and approach her and this lady goes, hey, back off. You're too close. Man, I I might at first have my feelings hurt because, gosh, I was just I thought you were Joyce from high school, you know, but I would understand that's better than this person going, I don't want to offend this person. And then all of a sudden it turns out that the the, the person that's approaching you uh, uh, had bad intentions, right? So it's such an important concept in self-defense. My safety is more important than their feelings. The next one is. When I'm in doubt, I get out. And the final one is not me. I refuse to be a victim. Okay. And, and research has shown that someone that puts up a fight, someone is determined uh, not to be a victim stands a last, lot better chance of avoiding, you know, uh, a violent crime happening to them right? and being better prepared to ward off the situation. Right. By the way, if anything's happened to you, please, no guilt. Whatever happened, you did the best you could. We're talking about going forward. How, how can we do to minimize any chance of something happening to us going forward? forward. Whatever's happened, what's done is done. We did the best we could with the resources we had. A couple stories. So first off, I I mentioned, uh, uh, you know, trust your intuition. And I want to share a story of my mom. My mom right now is 92 years old. This would have been probably, she would have probably been about 80 years old and and, uh, when they were still living in their home. And it's Friday afternoon and and, uh, the pest control guy comes to the house. And uh, when he gets done, by the way, it's a different guy than usual. She peeks through the window and she notices a different guy. He comes up, he knocks on the door to give her the receipts, right? And uh, and she says, oh yeah, I have I have ants in my master bedroom. Could you take a look at them? And so the guy, she said the guy gave him this really weird look and came inside and closed the door and then locked the door behind him. And she quickly, her heart started beating and she started feeling really uncomfortable. She wasn't quite sure what to do. So she pointed the guy, all right, it's down the hall and around the corner. Um, I'll be there in a minute. So the guy started walking that way. And she went out the garage door, got a neighbor. What are you going to do? You're not going to call the cops over that, right? She got a neighbor and she had the neighbor kind of come out and she proceeded to to, uh, to sweep the front walk until the guy left. And then of course she called the service and, and explained what happened and discontinued it right now. Here's my question for you. It was absolutely guaranteed hundred percent that this guy was a bad guy? 
with the Indian. No, absolutely not. He could have given her a weird look that she interpreted different. He may have given her a weird look in his head. He's going, are you kidding? You know how much work I have to do today? And you want me to check for ants in your master bedroom? And she could have interpreted differently. Or he could have locked the door behind her because he has a door just like that at home. And that's his habit. That's what he's programmed. Goes in the door, closes, locks. Right? We'll never know. That's a great example, you know, of, of really trusting your intuition, right? Uh, another example about mindset, not me, I refuse to be a victim, is uh, there was this lady that attended one of my events, and she was in her early 70s. She's, she's a very slight lady. She was probably 110 pounds and and uh, uh, 5'1 or 5'2, and, and she explained how she was uh, downtown, and, she, and it was about dusk, and her gut said, I shouldn't get out of the car now. It's a little late, but I'm going to do it anyway. So there's the first red flag. She didn't listen to her gut. And she gets out of the car because she's going to go to this this uh, uh, peek in the window at this antique store, right? And as soon as she gets out of the car, this guy comes up from behind her and puts his hand over her mouth. And and uh, and all of a sudden, she goes, I just got so mad. And so what'd she do? She stomped, she bit, she clawed and and wiggled as much as she could. And it's kind of like, it's the important that the quote, have you ever, you know, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And have you ever tried to pick up a five pound chihuahua that didn't want to get picked up? Kind of hard to do, right? Yeah. So anyway, she struggled and she managed to get herself free. The guy turned around, he was, and, and ran off and he was able, she was later on able to recognize him in a lineup. He was on probation uh, and uh, he'd skip promotion. They would have been looking for him. Anyway, and, and she was able to identify him. Well, this guy was almost 200 pounds. There is no way psychologically this 70-year-old lady uh, shouldn't be able to get away from a guy in his mid-20s that's 200 pounds. But that was her mindset, and that's what saved her. Uh, and, and there's so many other stories that I could share with you uh, uh, about that. But So the concept is, uh, is so important that uh, if you can sh- have kind of have that mindset, that, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid a conflict, but if I ever have to fight, I'm 100% committed. So my personal belief is that I'm 100% against fighting. I absolutely have no interest in fighting. By the way, I love to train, right? I love to spar and grapple and all that stuff's great fun. But as far as a real violent confrontation, I'm committed 100% to avoid it. Now, what that allows me to be is that allows me to be 100% forward if I have to ever defend myself. So there's no little gray area, right? It's like, I'm going to avoid a conflict. I'm going to avoid a conflict. I'm going to avoid a conflict. Oh, I have no choice. I'm going to de- defend myself. And by the way, it's important to understand that two guys are arguing in a, in a, in a, in a, in a bar and they go, what do you say to me? Let's go out in the back alley. And so I walk out in the back alley with this guy that's challenged me. That is not a self-defense situation. That's a fight. A self-defense situation is an ambush. It's a fight you didn't volunteer for. It's all of a sudden it's on you, right? And and, and if you avoid at all costs, then chances are you're going to dramatically uh, decrease the odds, your ability to uh, avoid a conflict. By the way, my understanding is the number one reason why two adult males fight is over a parking place. So what's the answer? Give them the friggin' parking place, right? <laughs> that would be the, the, the easy answer. So, all right, well, I hope you found today podcast valuable uh, if you want more information I think there's an outline on our, our website uh, on at kovars.com slash live safe I believe you can find kind of an outline of what we talked about today uh, but I, I think I, I just want to leave everybody with a thought of is is that uh, hopefully you guys are striving to kind of get to the next level in all aspects of, of your life that's kind of the idea with a live, uh, this podcast is what can we do to kind of be living on purpose be improving as we grow as we uh, grow in age or mature in age we also hopefully mature in in a life experience and and appreciation for what's going on. So until next time, thanks for being here and uh, talk to you later. Bye-bye.